0: And welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we've got the former chief of staff for the National Security Council under Donald Trump, the former National Security Advisor, or Vice President Mike Pence, one of the great generals of his army generation, General Keith Kellogg, retired General Keith Kellogg, joining us today, remarkable man, big strategic thinker. And he's going to help us break down what was said and not said in the Biden speech, what's going on in Iran and China. That's important. And I have a funny feeling because he knows both men so well and they respect him so well. We might make some news today. We'll see. We might make some news today and about the relationship between Mike Pence and Donald Trump. I think there's some news to be made there. Let's find out. Are they talking? Are they not talking? Are they fire and ice? I think you're going to hear that. I think today we'll be laughing about it important stuff all around. Great, important things. All right. Uh, we're not going to do a monologue today because this interview with General Kellogg is just too important. Um, I do want to mention one thing before we go to commercial break, because um, we keep talking about the economy. We're continuing to hear about these inflationary concerns and who knows, you know, the markets turn events happen in the world. You just don't know. Uh, but there is a lot of a lot of people saying, I'm worried about traditional investments, that there might be a bubble in the market or an inflationary moment. And are there other ways to protect my money, invest my money? And I've mentioned them several times. In fact, we even had them on the show once. My friends at Birch Gold Group, who are so kind to sponsor this show, one of the great sponsors and advertisers on the show, they have a great kit that opens your eyes. It opened my eyes, because I didn't know this existed to the possibility that you can invest some of your retirement funds yes, your 401k eligibles or your um, IRAs, individual retirement accounts in precious metals, things like physical gold and silver, which in periods of strife or economic uncertainty or economic volatility have a steadiness to them. That has been so great. If you're looking to maybe put a little bit, a lot, of your money into a safer spot because you're worried the bubble's coming. You've been enjoying this ride on the market. The folks at Birch Gold Group have an amazing product. It's uh, trial-free. You just do it. So you contact Birch Gold, right? You request this free info kit and you learn how physical precious metal, particularly gold and silver, uh, can potentially be diversified into your retirement accounts. What an interesting idea. 20-page kit. I read every bit of it. I am so much smarter now than what I was uh, before I got it. And I think as you look at this, it's a no obligation kit, right? You just read it, and learn. If you like it, you're gonna get some great opportunities because you are a just the news subscriber, a John Solomon reports listener. Birchgold.com slash justnews. Let me give you that again. You go to birchgold.com slash justnews. And for this limited time, right now you go do it because I don't know how long they're gonna allow this. It's is a pretty good deal. You get the this kit, and you can possibly, if you get the right deal you want. Uh, you can possibly get up to $10,000 in free precious metals on a purchase. That's a good deal. I wouldn't mind $10,000 of anything, particularly gold and silver. So there's zero cost, zero obligation. All you do, go to this link, Birch Gold, that's B-I-R-C-H, gold.com slash justnews. Get your free kit. Get up to speed. Learn it is a great deal. I'm so much smarter about my retirement than I was a couple months ago before Birch Gold came into my life. Check them out today. All right, we're going to go to that commercial break. When we come back, we are going to have the one, the only retired general, Keith Kellogg. You're going to have a lot of fun. This is going to be a fun interview. Be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, one of the military's very finest and a great civil servant as well. Uh, The retired general, Keith Kellogg is joining us. You may have known him for his role in the army, uh, his role as national security advisor to Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, many of us in journalism also know him as one of the greatest just strategic and foreign policy thinkers in, in our space today. General, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate
0: being on. It is a real honor to have you on and so much to talk about. I mean, this week has been just chock full of developments. And I want to start with something that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds, and that is the foreign policy uh, precepts that, that uh, President Biden laid down on Wednesday night in his first speech before a joint session of Congress. What's your takeaway from the speech as someone who's been in the military space, the foreign policy space? What, what did you take away from this?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing I took away was he really didn't mention foreign policy. I mean, he yeah. didn't go to. He really kind of led into uh, this whole thing, both on the economy and, and coronavirus and what has happened. And, and that is kind of a little bit of a sore spot with me, only because I was on the coronavirus task force uh, that the vice president led for the entire right. year. But, and the frustration I had on that very candidly, John, was when he talked about warp speed and what warp speed did, and 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 he really didn't mention what we had done it. And you know, with Warp Speed, when we put it together, the president specifically tasked the vice president to lead the Coronavirus Task Force. I was in the Oval Office when he did it to the, um, and he told him. And one of the reasons he told him, he said, look, you're the, you've been the governor of a state and you were there when they had MERS was going on and you know how to lead interagency discussions going forward. So when we developed Warp Speed, the whole intent was to create these vaccines in a record amount of time, and which we did. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Pfizer and Moderna were brought out in December of uh, this last year, which is an unheard of uh, amount of time uh, making it so fast. Even the governor said it was a miracle it happened. And the credit is really to what the president did during that. And what he, what we did is we called it manufacture at risk. And manufacture at risk is basically you throw money at something. And farmers uh, really don't like to, pre- to develop vaccines because they don't see any profit in them in the public, se- in the private sector. So we basically said to them, all right, we will cover down on you. You just start creating the vaccines. And and we actually had them producing a manufacturer at risk with no guarantee that it would work. But that meant that as soon as one was good through clinical trials, we could start shooting people right away. So let's use Pfizer. Pfizer got an emergency use authorization on a Friday in mid-December, four days later, they were putting shots in arms. And I should know because I was one of the very first. You were the first, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I got the first shot on a Tuesday after a Friday emergency use authorization. Wow. The Pfizer vaccine. And we did that through a program called Tiberius. And what Tiberius was that we created an operational warp speed. We could go down to five-digit zip codes of where we would send the vaccines to as soon as they were produced, either through UPS or FedEx or any other transmission level that we, we got them out there. So we were shooting people within the first week of those vaccines coming out. So the vaccines came out in an unheard of amount of time, two of them, Pfizer and Moderna. Right. Uh, we, and then we started shooting them. And then on inauguration day, we had put 1 million shots into the arms of people. So when people said, ah, well, you know, it was really developed on Biden's watch. No, it wasn't. It was developed yeah. on Trump's watch, Pence pushed it and we got it to where we wanted to go. So that was part of the frustration I had. And, and by the way, The reason why the economy is going to recover so well is because with the vaccinations, people are developing more confidence. Here's the one thing that threw me, John, during his his speech. You know, everybody in that chamber had been vaccinated, everybody in there. If he wanted to do something dramatic to the nation and to the world, he should have stood up in there, taken his mask off and said, all of you have been vaccinated, right? And they all would, yeah, take your mask off. Can you imagine the symbology that would have occurred with that? but he didn't do it. So that was my frustration that he had there. And then he kind of moved a little bit into national security to a limited degree. Yeah. I'm
0: Pretty
1: familiar with, but that's,
0: you They're know, are so way- right about it. You know, one of the things I remember and, you know, as the vice president and you were really making uh operation warp speed get to the finish line in time, because it really was the only option It didn't seem like the public health sector could come up with intermediary treatments. Maybe there were some that <laughs> just weren't pursued, but, it was vaccine, or this goes on, and as you were rushing to get it in there, I remember a period, I think it was in October, where Joe Biden was casting doubt on whether he'd want to take a vaccine developed by the Trump administration. He actually sowed doubt about the very vaccines that he now embraces as though they were his own. How frustrating was that that the Democrats were running a counter-vaccine operation at the end of the of the election?
1: Well, it wasn't just Biden. It was Kamala Harris. Right. Even during the debate with the vice president, she said she wasn't going to take any vaccine that came on there that that Trump had created. And we kept saying, it's not a Trump creation. We just provided the impetus to do it yeah. through this manufacturing at risk. And then you all now, you worry about people taking the vaccine. You actually pushed back on it. And I think I, I think that's part of the, you know, the frustration I have that media actually pushed that narrative. They did? Everybody's saying, look, this is a very safe process. One of the things that really impressed me was and this is a great credit to the United States and how we develop stuff, is we are very, very cautious in how we produce vaccines and making sure it's done right, the trials that we have, the clinical trials, and went on. So we were really, really confident. In fact, I went on, uh, uh, stood in front of the White House Press Corps, and I told them um, when we had an issue with uh, some of the people within the task force, and I said, look, we're you within this close? And kind of put my thumb and forefinger together and said, this close to having an effective vaccine, this close. And within 30 days, we had the vaccines out there. So, yeah, the frustration I had was enormous because they just pushed back on it. And it, it was absolutely stunning to me that they did that. And now, of course, they take credit for it.
0: It's unreal. I mean, it's it, there's another moment that what, what I kept saying as I was watching the speech, and maybe I'm just old and watching too much of politics for too long that I remember old things, but – It wasn't that long ago. I kept saying in this speech, Joe Biden is running against Joe Biden because he's taking credit for things he opposed just a few months ago. He's now doubling down on China when he told us China wasn't a threat uh, for most of his career and his son was cashing in on China. Um, It's as though Joe Biden has forgotten all the positions he had even during the campaign. And he's now embracing, there's a lot of embracing of Trump without recognizing Trump at all in, in Pence and you and all the people who work so hard. Um, what's going on? How did Biden suddenly become anti-China, pro-vaccine when he was pro-China, anti-vaccine, you know, then uh, uh, the last two years before coming into office?
1: I, you know, it's a, one of the things that surprises me is how the media lets him get off the, the major, mainstream media. It's lets true. Get off true. China, but let's use China and Iran. You know, China. He, he I think he said, "Come on, man, they're not a big, big competitor to us." Well, they, yeah, they are. They are a principal concern we have out there. They're they going to become an existential threat, much like the Russians are. Right. Going and they're developing their military. You know, they've already developed hypersonic missiles. And what that means, people, well, so what? Well, look, what that means is if you've got hypersonic sea-skimming missiles, that means you can't get the carrier task forces close to the mainland if you wanted to do some preemptive type of operation or protection over- operation. And they've developed these. They've developed them off our nickel. Basing on all the trade imbalance that we had there with the China and they are they, mm. they are pushing out very hard. They're very, very aggressive in what they do and, and they make no bones about it. And I can't believe he didn't see that. I have to think that very candidly, you know, part of that was a family interest they also had in China and going yeah. forward with their um, going forward. The other is Iran. And. Remember, this is the guy who was meaning Biden. He was against killing bin Laden. People he was. Forget public record. <laughs> he was. Uh, he didn't want to do it. When Hillary's for
0: it and, and Trump, Biden's against it, you really scratch your head. What's going on?
1: Really did. And then you had with Iran, then he criticized us for killing Soleimani. And I kept reminding everybody, you know, Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. Yeah. And we, we declared it that way. And when we killed Soleimani, people pushed back on it. He did. And I, and we now know through the Zareep tapes that he let out that we really put them back on their heels. And we thought we yep. did uh, when we killed Soleimani because it took them out of their uh, ability to influence the region out there where somebody who was very charismatic. And probably the only person who had more influence there in uh, Iran than uh, Soleimani was Supreme Leader Khomeini. So, we really did that on both levels. And I think the president was great when circling back on China uh, on the sanctions he put on them and the pushback he had on them and the America First agenda that we had out there that we think is important uh, and that we're going to keep pushing here at AFPI.
0: It's really interesting when you look at the impact of Trump. And because of the media blackout, we didn't ever get an honest accounting. But Iran wasn't only put on its knees by the Soleimani attack, which clearly was the most uh, uh, devastating strike they'd ever had in their strategic military command in a long time. Then uh, you've got the economic sanctions were far more devastating. You, you you pick that up in the Sharif tapes as well. And then uh, you go to China and Russia, and you know I, we, for four years all I heard was Russia, Russia, Russia. And it turns out that Trump's uh, sanctions on Russia were far worse than anything Obama and Biden ever achieved And we're just seeing now at the advent of the Biden administration, the acknowledgement without Trump's name attached to it, that those policies, those that you worked with the vice president when you were on the national security council, they really did work. They really had a strategic benefit to the United States. When does the establishment in Washington, the media get over the Trump syndrome that just because Donald Trump embraced it, it, it's wrong and look at that maybe these were the right policies for America because they were right for America, not because they were Donald Trump's policies.
1: I think, you know, I think it you know, It's a great question, John, because I think that people have to start really thinking hard about the policies that were in place with Trump and the, and the, the media has made it so much on personality. Yep. Instead of what he drove, he, Trump, and he, Pence really, really drove forward in, in, in these areas. Look, let me just give you one example on Russia. And I, I tell, it's, it's a pretty, Illustrative sort of example, when uh, this, we had an issue in in northern Syria with, uh, with at that time, uh, the group called Wagner. Wagner are uh, basically mercenaries that came out of Russia, but they're supported by uh, Putin and his team. They came across attacking U.S. positions, and we ended up killing about 200 of them, 200 Russian mercenaries. And we wow. did that. And people just kind of forget about it. Said, look, we knew they were coming across. We told the Russians, don't do this. Said, we, you will pay a price. And they kept going. And we basically hammered them with artillery, with infantry weapons, and with the, the, uh, with aviation. And, and that's one example. When we had the uh, the issue with the nerve gas in the UK, we closed two consulates here in the United States of America. People, we were not soft on Russia, we were hard on Exactly. Russia. And and I don't know why people just don't think about that. But every, it was always Russia, 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 and and people didn't think about the policies. Look, I was going back, and I told the Mueller Commission this when I was called in to be interviewed, and one of that was the first guy in the White House to be interviewed on. It. And I said, look, you are really chasing a, a really a, a bad story here because I'm <laughs> part of the. They sure were. Look, We, um, you know, we were so small. We had about 80 people, John, during the initial part of the campaign. We were so small we couldn't even collude among ourselves. Yes. Russians. The matter is that didn't happen, and I don't know why you're saying that, but it was a ready-made story that was pushed by the media, and it turned out to be a false story going forward. So, you know, somebody who was close to it, like me, who was there not only during the campaign but four years in the national security arena with them, it really is pretty frustrating.
0: It is. And you know, you look at your generation who are in the military and in the national security establishment, and you always put country before politics, country before. And there's a generation now, as I look at it, I see FBI agents today that don't look like the FBI agents that I knew when I first came on the job in the 80s. And I see intelligence people that color intelligence now for a political purpose. I see. Um, you know, uh, in in the policy world, there was a, an overt attempt last fall to suggest that the in uh, in the intelligence committee drove this because these leaks came from the intelligence committee, whether it was Adam Schiff's committee or the, that the the Trump administration heroes like you who serve in it were willing to look the other way as Russians were paying to kill our soldiers in Afghanistan and everybody who had access to intelligence knew it was false or had low, low valuable. And yet people in the intelligence community were able to create the perception of false reality in the American public. And when I wrote my book Fallout, I keep talking about the biggest concern I I saw coming out of Russia is, we've entered a new era of information warfare where intelligence tactics that we might've used for psyops or other things are now being turned on. The people the intelligence community, leakers in it can create a false picture and it can go on for eight months until we realize, oh, that wasn't true. How concerned are you that intelligence has, there have been intelligence leaks repeatedly in the last five years that gave the American people an overtly false picture?
1: Yeah, here's part of the frustration I have. is the fact that major parts of the media didn't pick up on the, the true story. Because yeah. let's use the, the Russian mercenary story that, that they had bounties on Americans. I am telling you from somebody that was inside and saw the reports, that is a bogus story. It is. that untrue. And I told people that. I said, "Where are you coming from? I have seen all the reports. Here's what the intelligence community should have done, and I wish they had done is they should have stood out in front of you know everybody in 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 the sticks in front of the White House and said, "Hey, look, this is a bad story. It's a bogus story. It's not true. It didn't happen and it didn't happen you know i can I can tell you the Iranians put a bounty on Americans, but the Russians never did out there. and it was a bad story yep. and yet the Lincoln group carried that forward and they and we saw ads on it, and people pushed it and I, I think that where I where my frustration with the intelligence community is, is they should have the courage to stand up there. And a lot of them did not to stand up there and say, this is a bad story. I'm telling you a bad story. And you just run in it because I think it influences the American people in a negative way. When you say to them, this didn't happen, we wouldn't tolerate that. We wouldn't tolerate that. I will. I guarantee you, John, President Trump, Vice President Pence, the whole team. That's the reason I made that comment about the Wagner group. We would have not have tolerated that one bit, and we wouldn't out there, and, and, and we didn't. So that that was our frustration now. When, when Those that did cause us problems, I think the president showed um, that he was more than willing to go out and kill terrorists when it happened, be it Soleimani or Baghdadi. Right. We would chase him down and get him. We did that, uh, and we had uh, no problems doing it, Didn't, and I didn't lose any sleep on it
0: it's um it is remarkable and I I, it, I worry that there's a generation of people who have come into these very important agencies uh, that may don't don't share the same neutrality that you probably went into your career with they seem to have agendas and intelligence is just a tactic for the agenda uh, do you think there's been a growing politicalization in what I would call the security apparatuses right the FBI the you saw the overt discussions that were going on with someone like Pete Struck, who, by the way, was a very brilliant agent, a very smart guy. But, you know, the, this idea that texting on your cell phone about your perceptions of Trump voters, is there a generation that's getting too political for the type of jobs that the CIA, the FBI, the National Security Council require?
1: Yeah, I, my concern is, and it's primarily the political appointees they yep. put in there. That's right. And, it, and sometimes I think a lot of them a large part of the population think, okay, you vote for this certain person, let's say Biden. You, de- you also need to understand that you're voting for people he's going to put in those positions that follow on that. And so t- it's a very, very holistic way of looking at it. You're just not picking one person, you're picking an agenda. And so in those intelligence agencies or the defense agencies or whatever agencies are out there, you're picking somebody that have got a very, very definite political view of the world out there. And you need to realize that. Yeah. And so this is the kind of person that I want to elect that is going to put these type of people in there. And I think that, that those agencies have become increasingly politicized with the people that have been put in there. The, the, the general workforce is pretty good. I think there's because a lot of them work in Washington, D.C. They're colored by the nature of Washington, D.C. But I think a lot of them, uh, when you look at it, they're, they've got very, very strong political views out there. And I think that's a huge mistake out there. I really yeah. do.
0: Yeah. It just doesn't belong there. There's a place for politics and you can go do it if you want, but you get into the Intel world, the military world. I think you got to leave your political stripes at the door because those other stripes call you to duty. And I, I just watched it. I've even some career people for the first time in my life. When I go out and do interviews, I sit down, there's just a partisanship, maybe at the beginning of the Trump era that I never saw. Maybe it was just the persona of Trump that made us all crazy. But, um, I just worry about the long-term uh, impact of letting that creep in and your generation never did. And I think that's why we're so lucky, you know, that we had so many years where we, we beat the enemy because we were the best always. And, and we made calls not on politics, but on policy and intelligence. One thing I want to ask you about, cause I ran was another, we touched on it, but there is a moment ahead of us where, Iran is, Iran policy is about to go in reversal. Whether whether we like it or not, it's going into reversal. The JCPOA is going to come back in some form. What is your assessment of the decision to kind of throw in the towel on where Trump had gone in Iran and the potential dangers of of renegotiating JCPOA and giving Iran money and getting them back on their feet after your team took Iran pretty much off its feet?
1: Yeah, I think it's a huge mistake, and the reason is that they're One, their state sponsors terrorism as a nation. The second yep. is, you know, when the, <clears throat> you have to understand, and people need to understand, when they took the sanctions, uh, we put the sanctions on them, and they're, and they're going to take them off. They still say death to America, death to Israel. Right. And uh, they have the largest missile force in the Middle East out there, and they're trying to push towards uh, a, n- a nuclear weapon. And when that has that, that'll totally, totally destabilize the Middle East. Because if anybody in their right mind thinks that if the Iranians get weapons, the Saudis won't try to get them, the UAE won't try to get them, they're wrong, and they'll just destabilize out there. And it's a, it's a theologic government. I mean, these people are not Jeffersonian Democrats. They they just don't believe in that. They're very theocratic and where they want to go with it. They're very, very aggressive. They're, they, They export terrorism throughout the Middle East. And I think we're just giving them a free pass. And so everybody's whistling past the graveyard on us. And it's a huge mistake. We kept the pressure on them. I think uh, they would have eventually started talking to us if, if we'd won the election. And I think that people like John Kerry were over there talking to Zarif. I, said, I think he was passing the message. Unfortunately, just hold on. If yeah. we have a change in government, this is going to happen. But I think it's a big mistake. And I think the European nations also are making a big mistake because they are kind of also whistling past the graveyard. And I think over time, with what's going to happen now, they will become a formidable threat to Israel and to other states uh, in, in the Middle East. And I think we're going to have to live with that. And then, so everybody needs to kind of put in the back of their mind, okay, you're willing to accept a, uh, a nuclear-armed uh, Iran. If that's it, that's where you're going to.
0: Yeah, and once uh, once Iran gets close enough, the Saudis already made clear they're going to get involved, and you're going to end up like India and Pakistan. You're going to have a <laughs> nuclear arms race in one of the tender boxes of the world. And, um, it's just remarkable where, where this ends up. I want to ask you about John Kerry as the last thing because, uh, you know, we're still trying to sort, sort the facts out. He says he didn't. Sharif says he did. Um, when you were in, did you get any inkling that John Kerry or emissaries of Biden, Clinton at all were sending a, a conflicting message to Iran than the one that the president of the United States was sending?
1: Yeah, we, we he did it all the time. I, uh, by hit the very fact that he went over there and the fact that he talked to Zarif uh, sent a very, very strong countermeasures to what we were trying to do out there. And people say, well, he didn't talk about it. He said everything he talked about was public record. Well, you don't, even if it's public record, you never acknowledge classified operations. Right. You don't. The press may get it, but you don't acknowledge it. And the fact that he, and now this is public record, that because you put it out there, the fact that what the Israelis were doing against the Iranians That was all classified information. It was. He would give it out to him and passes it on to him. And and we read cables and we understand what's going on. And it was not helpful to, uh, and we talked about it in the Oval Office several times. It was not helpful what he was doing because he was basically countering every message we were putting out there and trying to push them into some type of negotiation. Mm. I was in the room many times when the president would reach out to people like Macron of France. Right. He would, out to uh, Boris Johnson, in the UK, and trying to get them to be an intermediary to talk to the Iranians to get us into some type of discussions. And we always had a pushback. And they were pushed back because we had people like Kerry out there talking to Zarif and others.
0: Amazing. Just amazing. And uh, so this was a, 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 in real time, the, the Trump White House, uh, the national security staff, they were worried about the, the mixed message. He, you knew what he was doing, right?
1: Yeah, we knew. We knew what, what he was doing. And the frustration we had is that, that it was basically acknowledged by everybody, and nobody cared about it. I mean, if, if I, one of us had done that, I mean, the, the
0: well, they <laughs> accused Mike Flynn of doing it. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> they had the whole Logan Act thing; they were ready to use it then, just not on John Kerry, apparently. So you know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing, sir. Last question: Where do you? I know you you've got to work for President Trump, and then you got to work for Vice President Pence. I have such fond memories of. Vice President Pence, when he was early in Congress, he'd come over and visit me at the Washington Times when I was an editor. And um, what do you think is next for Mike Pence? Will he run in twenty twenty four? How is he doing post you know post Trump? When you talk to him, what is the state of, of our, our our great Vice President?
1: Well, he's he's doing great. I mean, he was just a, i am now part of the um, America First Policy Institute here uh, in DC. Right. That uh, Rollins has put together. And he just came over and visited uh, two days ago. And he looks great. He has got uh, he looks really, really healthy. Um, he gave a great speech last night in South Carolina. He sure did. Yeah, patriot. got a lot of head- good, head- good. headlines. You know I think he's like everybody else who's kind of holding fire. He told me before he left that he was going to hold for about 90 days to 120 days till yeah. he started coming out of the blocks, in which he has done now going forward. I, you know, He's a great American. He's a great patriot. Yeah. And I think uh, I think everybody is just going to kind of wait and see where it's going. Everything settle out during the midterms, and then see where we go from there.
0: That's the big um, key: the midterms. And, yeah.
1: But I mean, he's such a great American. I mean, it's uh, you know, and, and and I used to love the two of them. He and the president and the vice president together. I actually gave him, you know, the, the Secret Service has nicknames for him. You know, he was Hoosier, and and uh, the president was mogul. I gave him different.
0: <laughs> so what were your names? I'm dying to find My, this out.
1: I, my two nicknames were fire and, ice. <laughs> fire and ice the vice president i said you know i just i used to love being with them because uh, and they were they were just they were good together and it was a great team for america yeah they I, were what was done for america was really really good i think the policies we had in the last four years with both of them leading were really stunning and, and again you know closing the pull circle going back to what happened with the coronavirus and warp speed, a lot of that credit was going to the president who pushed it and the vice president who led the task force. And I think when the history of that is written, it'll show itself.
0: Oh, I definitely think that history will look back at these last four years much differently than the contemporaneous history of the news media. Do you think Trump and Pence will ever be able to patch things up? Because you're right, I saw saw them as late as last, you know, together in, in the fall and they were still jovial. And I think that election thing just drove a wedge. Do you think they can repair things?
1: Absolutely. That's great I, I to really hear. Do. They're, they're, they're talking, uh, together. Um, I know the president called him, uh, when he had his, uh, operation just recently right? on, on the pacemaker. Uh, and I know they're talking uh there and, um, and, and they're, you know, honestly, John, to, when I used to be in the Oval with both of them, I just loved being both with both of them. There was just,
0: it's a fun thing, good, isn't it? Yeah.
1: There, there was good banter going back and forth and, You know, and when they would talk privately, I mean, the the vice president would say, give me the room, which means leave. Right. And we would get up and leave the Oval, and they and the president would talk out there. And I think they were an incredible team together going forward.
0: There's some funny moments too because one of the things I didn't appreciate early in life about Mike Pence is that he he could be quiet and then all of a sudden he has a one-liner and it burns into the room really quickly and everybody you know even if, if President Trump or someone was in an intense moment he had a way of creating a levity that was really authentic and yeah. uh, it is good to know that it's good to know that um, that uh, they're talking again I think that will be heartwarming to hear for people.
1: Yep, yeah, they are. It is. Yeah. You know, I had the last one I got. I also knew when both of them would get mad at me. So they both had a style of looking and said, okay, especially with like with the vice president, I get that look at it. I'll get to shut up and walk out. of
0: (laughs) I still got to learn that skill with my wife. 33 years into it, I don't have it down yet. I'm trying, but I don't (laughs) always pick it up. Uh, well, General, we are so blessed that you have served our country for so long, and I know you're going to keep uh, serving it well. And this was really helpful to walk through these such important issues and to understand them better. We're, we're really so grateful for your time today.
1: Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. We'll be sure to have you on again soon. We, we, I know our audience is going to love this, so really great stuff. Thank you, sir. Thanks, John. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up not for the day, but for the weekend.
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: All right, folks. Uh, Welcome back for the commercial break. And it is time. I'm telling you, this weekend is one I'm going to treasure more than any other. I am pooped. I don't know why. But it's time for the weekend. It's time to go and uh, enjoy our family and our friends. Go to church spend some time with a kid at a soccer game. Heck, you can take your mask off now. The CDC police won't get you. If you're outside and you're double vaccinated, take your mask off and take a big whiff of fresh air. I loved what General Kellogg said uh, during our interview just a little bit ago about wouldn't it have been nice if Joe Biden said, everybody, but you're all vaccinated, right? Who's vaccinated? Take your masks off. What an amazing moment that might have been on Wednesday night. But here we are. It's the weekend. It's the first weekend where the CDC says we can go mask-free outdoors. Let's go take advantage of it. Let everybody see that great smile you might not have been using. And if you need to get a smile on your face, right, before you, you take your mask off. I got an idea. There's no way to get the smile on my face better than right through my little hungry tummy. And my good friends at Kansas City State They've got the the special Just the News deal. This is very important. I really want you to do this. It's, it's summertime. Get the freezer filled up with your best steaks, your best chickens uh, from our good friends at Kansas City Steak. I'm resupplying this weekend. It's time. And uh, listen, if you go there today, KansasCitySteaks.com, you're going to get 10% off and free shipping by using the code JustNews. Go there. Remember stuff I told you about Birch Gold at the beginning of the show Two great advertisers are doing something special for our readers, our listeners. Check them out and support them because they support us. I'll tell you one thing. I I was looking last night on the menu, and I am absolutely certain that this weekend I'm buying one of their butter tender filet mignons. I'm doing it. I'm in. I don't care what my heart doctor says. I don't care what my wife says. I do care what my wife says, but not on this because I'm going to buy her one too. Butter tender filet mignon. Just get that out of your head after I said it. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com right now. Go use the code JUSTNEWS at checkout. You're going to get 10% off that filet mignon. And you're going to get free shipping. Comes right to your door. You don't have to go to the grocery store, fight all the people. Get elbowed as you try to get the last steak going into Saturday morning. These guys at KansasCitySteaks.com, they do things right. They're my favorite now. All right, have a blessed weekend. God bless you. God bless this incredible country, the United States, as he always has. We'll be back on Monday with some more news.